0: Some dangerous, large uh, carnivore
1: out there. Yeah, I saw that bird a young deer off the road and fly away. And it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the ridge, not really having any clue. We was throwing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a seven out of my backpack. and looked back, and that's when I saw it. I saw one.
0: For uh, well, a week, the, the town defiance was being harassed by a werewolf. And it's actually attacked. Two railroad workers uh, killed livestock. You know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on. Radio. It is Sunday, and we are back on the air. With me today, as always, is my good friend and Bigfoot researcher extraordinaire Shane Hardcore Corson. Mr. Corson, how are you today?
1: Doing well, Gunnar. Doing well. Uh, Enjoying being out in the woods uh, all day today, and actually for a while now. So I'm enjoying being in the element and enjoying the, the, the the winter-like weather uh, up here near Mount Hood, it's um, overcast, it's been raining at times, but it's its just absolutely gorgeous, uh, it's just amazing. So I'm very blessed to be out in an area like this, enjoying uh, nature and, and some of my other passions, of course. Uh, it's a very, it's got a long history of Sasquatch reports, and it's got its perfect habitat uh, for Sasquatch right now. Uh, earlier today, I was out fishing and caught some salmon, but Right now, you know you have a lot of salmon traveling up these tributaries and these rivers, and uh they they're spawning and stacking up and <clears throat> you got a lot of uh, known animals that that partake in uh, the feasts uh, I would imagine um sasquatch would do the same. it's easily obtainable food um wasn't so easy for me, but I did have some luck today very
0: good you're and you're temporarily relocated um soldier house and are in the process of moving north hopefully and uh you're just a stone's throw away there from uh Todd and Diane niece.
1: correct yeah they're um down the road um you know of course they, they bought a, a cabin up here um and it's a, a amazing cabin and a really fantastic area it's absolutely gorgeous they got property and it backs up to the wild and, and it's just uh yeah so uh uh, they really got a great spot uh, to come, um, you know, and, uh, and enjoy nature, and, and of course, uh, partake in, uh, you know, going out in the, in the woods and doing some field work when, in regards to sasquatch.
0: And I, that's cool. You're, I mean, you're, you have a, a special connection to the Mount Hood National Forest because that's where you had your encounter back uh, a few years ago.
1: Several, years. it's getting. Yeah. to be you' yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so is. yeah, not too far away, so uh, really not too far away that's cool well, our yeah, guest today is, is is uh Mr. Mike
0: Johnson of SEER, which is a Sasquatch investigations of the Rockies and uh Mike is lives in Colorado um came from Kansas back in seventy seven and has been there ever since it sounds like uh Loves the mountains. Had a Bigfoot encounter, which we're going to talk to him about, and uh, and is involved in very uh, actively involved in in uh, Bigfoot research there in Colorado, the Rocky Mountains. So, let's get Mike on here and uh, have a chat. Good afternoon, Hi. Mike. How are you? Welcome, I'm to good. How are you? I'm doing I'm good, buddy. Honored to be on there. So awesome. So, Mike, for the Monster Rack, our, our listeners, can you uh, give us a little bit of uh, who is Mike Johnson? The Mike okay. Johnson story. Um,
2: <laughs> I've been in Colorado about thirty-seven, thirty-eight 38 years, since '77. Um, basically,. Uh, You know, started out just camping and uh, fishing and hunting and doing things like that.
0: Same things I did
2: when I was a boy in Kansas before we moved to Colorado. Never really got into the Bigfoot thing until the the early 1990s. Had a few little things happen, kind of piddled at it for quite a while, and started taking it serious, really, really pretty serious about 15 years ago. So, I've been all over uh, Colorado, Wyoming, New Mexico, a little bit of Montana, Idaho, Utah. Those are the main states that I've that I've looked for sasquatches in. And I'm the head of Sasquatch Investigations of the Rockies. And we have about 12, 13 uh, investigators in Missouri, Utah, mostly Colorado, one in Nebraska too. So, so that's
0: kind of my so story. Mike- Okay, so uh, tell me, you're so you live in Colorado, been there for quite a while, and you had you had some you you alluded to some little things happened, but you had something big happen that kind of put things over the top for you. Just talk about your I've, encounter.
2: I've actually had a lot of experiences. I mean, I've been looking for Sasquatch okay. now for 25 years. Um, I've seen them on more than one occasion, actually. Um, so I've you know I've been pretty fortunate. We actually now at Sur have about 13 locations. So what how the, how members get into our group is, is we t- we go out camping in the field. A lot of them already had their locations, and then I just help them improve on them. So we have a whole bunch of locations going, and Utah, Colorado, Wyoming are our main places. So. We're pretty. We're, okay. we're doing pretty well. I mean, if you look at the website, we have a, uh, a bunch of evidence, and most of the evidence, I was there when it either happened or was obtained. Uh, most of the evidence on the website, I was there. Kind of to give people an idea how much time I put in into the woods. I've probably been in about 325 days the last five years in in the woods with overnight stays, at all times of the year. So I go winter summer spring fall so a little bit different well, let's than talk most big footers.
0: yeah you're you're you round, so that that does uh um, afford you opportunity, more opportunity to to have encounters and and do research so but your initial visual encounter let's talk about that tell us a little bit about that
2: i, I had a, a up by pikes peak i had a face to face encounter um About 20 yards, male, 8 feet, uh, all black. Uh, Got a pretty good look at him. Very intimidating. Uh, Round black eyes. Very muscular. Um, It was was a totally chance encounter. I was on top of an old mine tailings pile because there's a whole bunch of old abandoned mines around Colorado Springs.
0: And I think they
2: use those. And I popped out out uh, uh, the, the cedars that were on the mine tailing pile. They were all about eight to ten feet tall. Um, and I popped out uh, across a creek, and I was standing there looking at where I was going to go next, if I was going to go up or down. And uh, I heard a piece of shell kind of scuttle down the side of the hill, and I looked up, and that's when I saw him. So he made a mistake. I didn't even know he was following me. Didn't even know he was there. I was by myself. It was early in the morning. And that's how I saw him, so he was standing under a tree, so I know how tall he was because we went back. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a tape measure with me, but we went back and then we measured the branch he was standing under, and it would have put him about eight foot one. so I got a pretty good pretty good measure on him.
0: What time of year did you have this your first sighting?
2: If I recall that was
0: in that was in uh, May. It was in May. Gotcha. So did that kind of give you the Bigfoot bug at that point, or had you already started looking or investigating? No. Or? W-
2: what happened was is I'd gone up a, into that area not really looking for Bigfoot on a Thanksgiving and mm-hmm. um, was the first one in. There was a little bit of snow on that Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. You always have off. And I was just dri- I got a new truck and I was driving around with my brother, and we came across some footprints and they went down into this canyon, and then I started going into that canyon. I try to get people to go in to- with me, but a lot of times mm-hmm. people wouldn't. It's about a nine nine hundred foot drop in elevation, so it's not yeah. an easy hike. <laughs> so um, I started going in there a lot and. Uh, um, that's when I had that encounter. I knew there there was something in there that that wasn't normal because it left 17-inch footprints, and I went into this canyon in the snow. And uh-huh. I, I have a hard time go, going in there when it doesn't snow. So uh, it's really a difficult place to get around in. I, I went in there. I never saw anybody in all the times I went in there. I never saw anybody in there. So that's how difficult it is. So wow. and yeah. I probably went in there fifty times at least and never saw a person. So that's pretty rare. It's
1: well yeah, bad. and then of course of course you have, you know, these these uh you know, seventeen age tracks uh, that you know that you, you found and followed. Do you think that there was the same individual that you saw? Uh I mean those are those are a lot of tracks. I you know, do you assume that those are probably the same individual tracks that you, you saw?
2: That's about in the right height range for that size. Mm-hmm. It could be. There was a little, after year, you know, after 50 times in there, there's a little family in there. Um, I actually was in there one time on May 2nd. I, I, this is the latest encounter I had there. May 2nd, 2009, I'll never forget it because I saw a pregnant female. She was bursting, and she was dropping pine bows as she ran away from me, and it was kind of a misty day along Pike's Peak, so the clouds were kind of hugging in low. And uh, I was popping in and out of the cloud bank, and I think that's why I got on her so easy, because she couldn't smell me because of the mist. So that's a great time to go sasquatching when you're in that mist. And that was in the day. I mean, I literally just, I think I surprised her. I walked up on her. and uh, I think she was wasn't like, the only one named surprised. Scott Walters, And she was dropping pine bows as she ran away from us. She left some pretty good footprints. She dusted us though, and um, you, there was one really, really good footprint. It, it was, it was, it was about in that range too. So she was big too, um, but she was bursting and she was dropping pine bows. So that's why I know she was making a nest. So I'm hmm. pretty confident that Sasquatches make nests when they're pregnant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, so having. You, you, you've seen this male and you've seen this female. Did, how were they different? I mean, beside maybe some of the the obvious features. I mean, were they similar in any way? Were they, you know? Um, and then, of course, with her being pregnant, I mean, uh, beside uh, what, what other features spring to you that she was pregnant?
2: <laughs> uh, well, she wasn't as thick as the male was. The male was very muscular. I mean, his arms were massive. He he was very intimidated intimidating and plus she was better groomed he was kind of he kind of looked like he'd been through the wars a little bit so I don't know if he was older or what but and his hair was all matted on one side he he, he was pretty rugged looking he, he was actually most people would have been pretty terrified and I was terrified I didn't go back for a while uh, I couldn't get anybody to go with me and I wasn't going in there by myself and I didn't go back for a while uh, when you have something like that happen at that close and you're by yourself early in the morning and you can't get out, I mean, because of the el- elevation change there, you can't get out really fast. So when that happened, I went up because I wasn't sure what he was going to do. I mean, he stood there for like 20 seconds and then he popped back into the cedars. And what was weird was, is I can remember in my mind, how loud I was thinking to myself, how loud I was coming through there. You know, I was crunching on leaves and stuff. And there was a lot of undergrowth and stuff, and it was making a lot of sound. I was thinking, gosh, I'm loud. I'm not sneaking up on anything. And and when he went back into the cedars, I couldn't hear where he went. I couldn't. I don't know how far he went. And it was weird. I, I went and set up on this. I didn't know what he was going to do, so I went and set up on this big rocks where I could see 360 around me. And, mm-hmm. and I waited like half an hour to see what was going to happen. And nothing happened, and then I just got, got out of there. That's what I did.
1: Uh, yeah. I, sounds like a very uh, hairy encounter. I mean, herring encounter, sorry the pun, but... Uh, or okay. air, elevation. Yeah, or What kind of elevation are we talking here? I mean, uh, it sounds like, you know, it's a, it's a pretty high elevation. Um, uh,
2: I would say this area is about 9,500, between 9,000 and 9,500 feet. Okay. It's below Pikes Peak. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So, Pikes Peak is in the background, and Pikes Peak rises to about 14.2. So, that's a great place in Colorado. You want to know what's interesting, guys? Mm -hmm. They seem Mm -hmm. to like areas where there's big mountains around. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, just like where you are. Yeah. You you were just talking about Mount Hood. You know, you got big mountains. They see Mount St. Helens, Mount Hood. Pike's Peak just kind of seems like it rises out of nowhere. A lot of our locations mimic that type of area. It so.
1: yeah, sure, sure sounds like it. I mean, the, the elevation, I think, does play a key part in it. Uh, and in the mountains, of course, uh, I agree with you there. The mountains do uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, you've got uh, areas where you do get human traffic, but it's minimal. You know, I mean, a lot of these mountains have vast forests. And uh, everything you need to survive, and uh, so it makes it, you know, uh, being. I would imagine with the human population growing, growing, expanding, you know, mountains really are a safe place for uh, you know something of this size and 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 whatnot, and and it has the upper hand. Exactly, they
2: figured out our weakness. Our weakness is going down steep places and going up steep places. So mm-hmm. if they come out of these out of ravines or go up steep hills. You really can't follow, mm-hmm. and they and they dust they dusted you, and that was what was interesting about the pregnant female. Um, she dusted me. She went down the ravine and then she went right straight up the side of the hill, and and I ran to try to follow her to see where she was headed, and I got a pretty good look at her, um, but it was hard, you know, because of the the, the cloud situation. But fortunately, she popped out in an area where the clouds, like I said, the clouds were kind of swirling around. She popped out. She stopped on top of the ridge and looked down at me. And then she went over the ridge. And then she was gone. And what was interesting is she, she left a lot of pretty good footprints. She left about three really good footprints. The rest, you know, were skid. There was one place where she even skidded because it was, you know, it had rained earlier and it was kind of wet. And I could see where she'd skidded. And uh, But she hit a lot of rocks, too. So people are wondering why they can't track them very well. She mm. hit a lot of rocks on purpose because she didn't leave a foot mark, footprint mark. and She was trying to not let me follow her.
1: So, well, that's a great point. That's a great point because a lot of people say, well, I, you know, why do people find one uh, impression, track, or footprint? Well, that's it, a perfect example you know, uh, the, the, the substrate, the terrain, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, it, it just, you know, unless you're a really good tracker or know what you're looking for, you're going to assume it's just one footprint and that's it, but if you, you know, there's always a trail uh, and it's just, you know, you look for the subtlety, it's you know, a real small thing.
2: There's two, there's two places that make it really difficult to follow something, if they're in the water or they're on the rocks. And she used the rocks masterfully. This was a little granite canyon that went down with big boulders in it. She even jumped pregnant down a ten-foot little precipice that I couldn't. I had to go around it. She jumped down it. So even pregnant, she. I, I learned a lot that day. Let's just put it this way. She was literally breaking. She was literally breaking off the pine bows off this pine. And I have a picture of it. I'm soaking wet. I'm in my camo gear. I'm soaking wet, and I'm standing next to this pine that she was standing next to when breaking off the pine bows. So I learned a lot that day about what was going on. And there was no mistake, and she was pregnant. She was busting at the
1: seams, mm-hmm. So she was, did, she was ready to go. Right. Was she always traveling on, on two feet, or did she ever get down on all fours, anything like that?
2: You know, for the, for the brief points I saw her, she was up on two feet the whole time. You know, I gotcha. saw her in increments because she was going downhill away from me. And when she went up, I saw just parts of it. I didn't see all of it.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Well, it sounds like she was just known she had been spotted and just wanted to get out of there. Now, in regards to the, the male you saw originally, um, yeah. what was his demeanor? Uh, did he seem like he just wanted to get out of there? Or was he? did he seem agitated, angry, or just wanted to get out of there? Or, like, what was his demeanor?
2: You know what? He had a look on his face like he really... I got the impression he really didn't care, and that kind of put me a little bit at ease. It was kind of like a, eh, you know, you're not what I thought you were look.
0: Yeah.
2: I think he thought I was a deer popping out of there. you got to remember, this is a place that there aren't any people in, so he probably wasn't expecting a person. And I, I can't get back in that place anymore. It's closed. It's been closed by the Forest Service for about six years. But... Um, they, um, I'd like to go back in there and see if he came out of that. There's a mine back in there somewhere. See if he came out of the mine.
1: Mm-hmm. That's well, what I what, suspect. What, right. Well, what's the main reason they closed that area down? Fire. Fire. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. A big. Funny. Colorado's had big. People don't realize this, and I'm going to say this because it needs to be said. Fires do affect Sasquatches, and this is a perfect example of it. One of my the primary area I used to go to I cannot go to it's been closed for six year be, six years because of a fire because of an arson fire.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, so you know
0: do,
2: people do affect do,
1: them. Yeah, I I would imagine so. I mean it affects everything uh, people, animals, uh, Sasquatch. I mean so. Uh, with these fires in Colorado, we've had fires here in Washington, Oregon, and I know them well in California. Do, do you are, are do sightings from your experience and reports? Do sightings um, when you got these fires coming to? you, Do you have a, a rise in sightings in different locations that really didn't have as many sightings before the fire? Uh,
2: you, you know what? We do get sightings around the perimeter of these fires. Um, and I will say this, um, I've tried to find this group, you know, I've tried to get on the peripheral and call them, and we do get reports once in a while on the peripheral of this fire, and I wonder sometimes if they've been, been displaced, but unfortunately, a lot of the areas on the peripheral are, are private, and I don't have access to it, so right. so now I've got an access problem. So mm-hmm. as soon as the Forest Service reopens this area, I'll be the first one in. Mm-hmm. But they haven't reo- they haven't reopened it, so I can't. So,
0: because
2: yeah. I want to see what's left, I want to see, you know, what their chances were of surviving it, um, if they're still there. Right. Um, they're, they're, I have a lot of questions. Let's just put it that way. I want to go back to where I saw him to see if it's still there, but yeah. I can't see. I can't see because there's a lot of elevation change in that area. And, and I'll be honest with you. This fire burned hot and and pretty extensively, and a lot of the areas that you can get into now, it's charred to the ground. Mm. It, it, it was a devastating fire.
1: Yeah, what a shame. You know, and, and you know, you, you got to figure, you know, uh, for Sasquatch to be in the area in that area as well as any you know any other known animal uh, to be in that area. You know, the fire decimates it. You know, you got to have. Um, you know, natural resources and cover and everything else. So, I mean, if it really decimated that area so much, I would assume that it would not be habitable, or at least uh, habitable enough to stay there over a long, extensive period of time. It might have moved on.
2: The the road I can drive through and look, and somewhat, and it's pretty devastating. It's uh, yeah. there's oh, there's just weeds and a little bit of grass, but and there's pockets of trees. I mean, the Forest Service. State
1: Mike is still with us. Do we, we lose Mike? Uh, I think so. He's still online, but I, I I'm not hearing Mike. Uh if you want to try calling back in maybe or uh maybe you muted yourself. Uh, um, you yeah, hear that again? To... Oh, you're there. Sorry, you cut out for a second we we didn't hear yet, so uh don't know what happened Let's go but back anyways, to the beginning. Mike, can you tell <laughs> us a little
0: bit about no just kidding? <laughs> it wasn't that long. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but yeah, you were you were talking about being able to go into this area and to see the devastation and, and from this fire, this arson, uh, absolutely shame. But uh, you know, uh, you will be the first one back up there. You were saying uh, when 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 the, the the park system and when the authorities reopen it. So um, look forward to hearing about uh, you know um, what you see there and what's left. Hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, nature's uh, you know. Uh, didn't take too big a hit, and that there's still pockets uh, there. We'll see, I guess. Uh, earlier, Mike, you are talking about this female and the pine boas and stuff, um, snapping them off, and you were talking about, you know, uh, nests. Uh, I'm, of course, fascinated by nests. Have you uh, come across any nests um, personally?
2: You, you know what? I'm probably one of the most fortunate people on that. I've seen three. And wow. we have a location in Northwest Colorado by steamboat um, that we actually had a nest with a baby in real time. And if you look on our if you look on our website, all that evidence is on there. The baby used to leave footprints in our cl- in our camp in the clay soil. Mama's mm-hmm. footprints were 17 inches, and then baby's toes were were you know way smaller. And she used to try to cover up baby's toes. She when she noticed after a while that we were interested in them, she used to try to cover them up with her footprints. So she'd make an effort to cover up hers and theirs. Um, the other thing was, um, but I actually saw this nest, and what was interesting is there were three pads. There were two pads where the, the adults slept next to the nest. The nest was put against a log, and where the adults slept during the, uh, I assume during the day, they were worn to the ground. And this was about this area was about a mile and a half behind our campsite. And what was really, really interesting is there was a campground about five miles away. What was really interesting is is in this forest, in this clump of forest, and there's big swatches in this area of um, of gaps where there's grass and skunk cabbage, and then there's forest, and then there's aspen forest. It's all clumps. In the clumps, in this clumps, in the middle of nowhere. And this place I'm telling you is in the middle of nowhere. You'd find tennis balls. you'd be walking along, and you'd find a tennis ball and I never could figure it out. In fact, we kind of reopened the road. it was an abandoned logging road, and it had some trees we had to cut out to get into it um and you'd find these tennis balls, and I couldn't figure it out and Then I found that where they were sleeping, I kind of it rained one time, and I could smell where they were you know roughly in the area they were in, and that's when we found this place. And there was a horse bridle strap, a leather horse bridle strap, and a tennis ball next to where they were sleeping. So I think that they were stealing these tennis balls from the campground about five miles away and messing around with them in the forest. I mean, there was literally 20 or 30 of them.
1: Wow. <laughs> but wow. you've got
2: to remember, the, camp, the campground's been there for probably 50 years. So, 50 hmm. years of them taking them, you know, people throw, and there's a lake at the campground, and they throw balls to their dogs and stuff like that. And there's actually reports at that campground of Sasquatches being in it, messing with people there.
1: So, pretty cool. Yeah, huh? I mean, yeah, pretty cool. I mean, especially to find uh, tennis balls, you know, that far away in, in, in that uh, sort of area. That's, Pretty incredible. I mean, uh, when I imagine a raccoon uh, dragging that many uh, tennis balls up there, <laughs> you,
2: you, you know what it looked like to me. Those two items were. They it looked like they were toys. Hmm. I mean, if I had yeah. to guess, an adult Sasquatch has no need for those two items.
1: No, of course not.
2: But you have yeah. a baby, so I think they were toys. Uh, you mm. know, I I, yeah. I I can't think of any other use. And, and the horse bridle strap really, I was like, "Wow, where did they get this from?" Because there's this. This is about ninety five hundred feet, and there's horses probably well, eight, 10 miles away, except for hunting season. So they either would have had to taken it during hunting season or taken it from somewhere else. So they had to bring that horse strap strap from a long ways.
1: So yeah, well, what with the nests uh, that you've seen, um, what was their structure like? Uh, I mean, and, and can you describe a little bit about, you know, say, say you're in this area and you're looking at these nests, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about being a log and but how close were they, you know, roughly in proximity to the other nests? And then how many nests? I mean, we're just talking three nests and, and in size as well. What size we well,
2: the, the other two aren't nests. They're just the adults were laying straight on the ground. Okay. The, the nest was made out of pine, and, it you know, it wasn't big enough for an adult. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, it wasn't big enough for an adult. It, and it was right next to a giant log, because this area was logged in the 40s and 50s, and it had old-growth forests, so there were big trees. There was still a giant log there. They put they butted the nest up next to the giant logs so they had protection from the valley and then the two of the adults looked like they slept right next to the baby in a line. I mean it was like a line. And gotcha. and we got you know what we I got down on my hands and knees and we dug and we did get hairs out of them. Got hairs mm-hmm. out of the ground and we got hairs out of the nest. I still have them. They've never they've never been tested but I still have them. Mm-hmm. and we we found a nest this year again this year and um and it's we got it, we got multiple hairs out of it this year we got we found a really nice nest this year down in southern colorado um and it's it's pretty dang awesome we got hairs out of it and uh we've had a few people look at them and there's a couple of hairs in there that people are saying are inconclusive they don't know what they are really
0: mm-hmm. but
2: they're not really they're not really Willing to say they're this or that, they're just kind of saying we don't know kind of thing, right? Which which is good, which is good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's not uh, not shouting anything uh, obvious to them. It's like, well, I don't know what this is.
2: Exactly, which I like that. And these the people that looked at them are pretty darn good folks. Um, they, they've been doing this a long time. Uh, one of the guys is Doug. Uh, I I think you pronounce his name Hayjack.
0: Mm-hmm. And he
2: uh used to be the head guy at Monster Quest. Okay. So
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. can you describe the hair a little bit? I mean, uh what you know, <clears throat> I've been working around the nesting bedding area as well and and uh, pulled multiple hairs out of them. Um but you know, I, I pluck every hair I find. Uh, it doesn't matter if it looks like I know what it is. So I'll pluck it. But these particular hairs you found in these nests, do you mind describing kind of what, uh, at least the ones that are undiscernible uh, exactly what they kind of look like? I mean, are they uh, more more human-like hair? Or are they? I mean, can you describe them a little bit? Yeah,
2: most of the hairs, most of the hairs that. I've seen that i attribute to it that I'm pretty confident or sasquatch hairs look pretty human
0: mm-hmm.
2: um they're they're fine and they're thin they uh you know and it, you know a lot of people talk about them not being cut i mean that's one way you there you can kind of tell um, yeah. you know um a, a lot of the hairs that I found there's a lot of reds, a lot of blacks, a lot of grays, so we have a place where that female was. This is, this is what we tried to do to catch her, a natural trap. The, we put the truck next to uh, a big pine tree that was really sappy. So when the Sasquatches came through our camp, they get funneled into that next to that tree, and they'd catch their hair in it. Now, the downside of that is is everything catches its hair in it. So when you go by, <laughs> a, a deer and an elk goes by, or an animal crawls up the tree, everything's caught in that sappy tree. But you know what? We, we keep taking hairs off of that tree. Every time we go there, there's more hair on that tree. So, yeah. And so I'm pretty confident, you know, one of these times we're going to hit the jackpot there if we haven't already.
0: See, mm-hmm. the
2: problem being is, is we have massive amounts of hair samples at Sir. I probably got 50 different samples. Who's going to pay to test all those? Right. Nope. Nobody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about, what, 50, 50, 100 grand?
0: So you're talking
2: about
0: DNA. Yeah, you're talking about DNA testing.
1: Impressive. Right. Yeah. Someone can look at them so, all day, but to get them actually, uh, get the you know, DNA extracted or uh, what, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's money.
2: <laughs> well, and I'm going to tell you guys, you know what, these hairs out of this nest we recently found, we had two different experts look at them. Two different experts told me two different things. So looking at hairs, looking at hairs, looking at hairs—if they are Sasquatch hairs, you don't know what you're looking at. They don't have any baseline to judge them f- from. So what do they do? They go—they go right to the baseline that they are familiar with, and then—and mm-hmm. what hair specialists do is they try to plug in the hair that fits. Well, right. if you got a hair that doesn't fit. That doesn't work too well for how they do things. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these guys are from a criminal background or from, you know, um, that type of thing. Well, what they do is they they're it drives them crazy because they're used to trying to figure out what that hair belongs to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and what do they
2: What do they come back for a conclusion?
0: That, what do what they well,
2: tell you? Well, that's what I'm saying. They, they just say, I, I don't know what it is. That, yeah. You know it's, inconclu- it's inconclusive, so that right. doesn't really help you. So 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 having an, a hair specialist analyze hair really doesn't get you very far. I mean, you know you can look at it under the microscope. See, that's just it. Until somebody actually has hairs and they know it came off of a sasquatch, they they literally pulled them off themselves or something like that. You know, you're always going to have that doubt. And that's probably where the DNA testing of the hair takes it to the next level.
1: Yeah, I agree well, with you. Are I
0: agree you familiar? Are you familiar with Cindy Doson's work? I am. She's a I member am member of the Olympic Project. So, I mean, that's Cindy has a process. I mean, she's not doing DNA, but she's comparing it to to hairs that that came from. Uh, that came from a, a location where it was associated with a, you know, a Sasquatch. Like somebody saw a Sasquatch, then found this hair. So, so that's her type. I mean, she has a type to, to go off of. So, it doesn't that, I mean, that's it, good. again puts it in. Yeah. It, I it know it in I've a,
2: seen a Sasquatch hair, and I'll tell you mm-hmm. why. I, the handprint on my truck when it was left. There right. were gray hairs on the side of my truck, mm. and we collected those gray hairs from around the handprint. So I, and they were really fine gray hairs, and they they came. Yeah. I'm pretty confident from the female. There was three of them. We collected them right off that morning, right off the side of the truck, right next to the handprint. One of them was actually kind of in the handprint, in the clay. So see that the reason that handprint stuck to my truck so well, and it was actually on there for two weeks, and I couldn't get anybody to come look at it. I tried, and I tried, but it was on my truck for two weeks, because that soil there is really clay, so when it gets wet, it sticks, and it's stuck to the side of my truck, and and some hairs got caught in it, so I'm pretty confident. You know, they were gray, which is kind of unusual for the forest, and I'm pretty confident Mm -hmm. they came from a Sasquatch, so...
0: Of course we've seen that they're seen that corroborating we, I mean, I like the yeah. corroborating evidence you find a something that you believe to be a handprint and then you find hair now you have you know if you find a footprint or have a sighting. I mean the more corroborating evidence with with uh, uh something unknown the better so
2: a good portion like of that print. evidence on our website. Is probably 15 20% of the evidence on our website comes from one location in northwest Colorado. There's footprints, there's baby prints, there's recordings, there's, uh, 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 well, there's actually a video uh, that you can kind of, he tripped one of, a, a juvenile, I'm pretty sure it's the juvenile that tripped the, the stealth cam when we used to use them there. And you can uh-huh. kind of make out a really funny-looking head. And he, I think he was down on all fours is why you get in that weird shot. Cause I See, I have the luxury of knowing where the camera was and what was going uh-huh. on. And if you watch it on our website, well, what happens there is something kept getting into the trash bag because we have great smells coming out of the trash bag. And I know the bears won't come around this location because... Uh, you know what? There's two giant Sasquatches and a baby, and when a family group has a baby, the bears take a wide berth. I'm, I'm telling you right now, they don't go in there. They know better. And um, the um, the Sasquatch, um, we. Uh, but it, well, I kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> Sorry about that.
0: Well, you said but, uh Yeah, no, you were talking about the video on your website that that you think was juvenile
2: yeah we put a banana out by the trash bag and it shows like a little weasel type critter coming out to the banana and then all of a sudden he gets to it and he freaks out and he takes off and then the next sequence is something coming into frame but it's coming in so quickly it triggers the video and then stops and you can kind of make out what looks like a head to me. It looks like a head to me. I mean, it's inconclusive, but I know the whole facts of what was going on and what we were trying to do. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure we caught we caught a juvenile on all fours coming into the banana. That's why the little weasel-type critter, critter freaked out and left and never came back to the banana. So, and then the mm-hmm. banana was taken. So. Well, you know, that that location is great. That location is absolutely a great location. Um, It really is. I've had so many great things happen there.
1: Well, you bring up another interesting point, and and one that we discussed here at length with guests on the show on Monterey Radio, uh, is the the use of trail cameras. What's your stance on using trail cameras? Uh, You know, uh, is it worthy? Is it uh, pointless? What's, What's your thoughts on using trail cameras?
2: I'm going to tell people what I've learned in 25 years. When you're in a Sasquatch's home, somebody's generally watching you 24-7. So if you're putting up trail cams, they're watching you do it. So there's no magic to them avoiding your trail cam. They watch you put it up. If they watch you put it up, they know what it is. People have been putting them up for a long time. I had, Robin Roberts is uh, one of our investigators, and we have a location I call Central Colorado. And um, I had my trail cams with her, and I've given up using them there, because it's futile. You're not going to catch them there. There's one there that's really smart. And she was, like, adamant, because one of them kept leaving footprints in front of the trash bag. And she goes, we can catch him easy. We'll just put the stealth cam right across. She goes, I'll do it. I'll camouflage it all up. And I said, all right, go ahead. I said, but don't turn it on because they they get, some of them get angry when you turn them on. There's something about them they don't like. And I said, camouflage it up. I said, we won't even turn it on. And then we'll go for a hike and we'll see what happens because he's going to run back to the trash bag to see what's going on. And sure enough, we were gone for about two hours. We come back. She'd camoed up the trail cam. We didn't even turn it on. And all the little pine bows and pine stuff that she'd taken to camo up the, tra- the, the trail cam was sitting in a pile in front of the trash bag. So the Sasquatch had taken all her camo off of the stealth cam, put it in a little pile in front of this trash bag, and he was telling us, you know what, I know your trail cam's there. Put it away.
0: <laughs> well, so that's uh, And I learned camera. a
2: valuable lesson there. Yeah, you, that's you know, a trail it's camera. Y'all, go, go yeah, ahead. Talk, that's go a ahead. trail cam. Well, and if you look on our website too, at Northwest Colorado, there is a there is a giant male. He, he's outside the norm, and he doesn't necessarily like people too well. I, I, you know what, it's the truth. But he isn't always there, and I don't understand the dynamic. But he comes and he kind of goes, but. We we thought we were going to be smart when we we had a great feeding station and the female and the baby were eating at the feeding station. But the trail cams kept whiting out, and it was driving me nuts, both of them simultaneously. So, you know what, I watch Star Trek a lot. I like that stuff. I thought, you know what, there's a great Star Trek where Captain Kirk goes three-dimensional on him. I said, you know what, I don't know that Sasquatch is no three-dimensional, so I brought my ladder up and we put the stealth cam in the tree above the feeding station, about 20 feet pointing down, it whited out still. The other one whited out. And finally, um, we were getting great footprints next to the feeding station that we had on this log that was down. We came back uh, one time, and the tree that we used to put the stealth cams on was broken, laying across our feeding station, about seven feet up. Wow. And this tree is in the middle of a circle of trees. So all the trees around it were fine. Just one tree, the one that we were using. He he was telling us, I don't like this monkey business that you guys are pulling on us here. He broke the tree. I I know he did. Mm -hmm. The tree was healthy and alive. It It wasn't dead at all. So he dropped the tree right on our feeding station.
1: Do you guys ever u- utilize guy. do you guys ever utilize um uh just video cameras you know um they sell nowadays a really small one you can clip on a tree almost and just it'll just uh video for you know like two hours or so I mean, do you guys utilize uh, that against like you know trail cameras in some of these really more active areas
2: I let my researchers bring whatever they want. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm kind of the old-timer of the group. I'm here to move my people forward, but I'm, I've kind of become an experience junkie, and I want to learn as much as I can. And you get more experiences when you put the cameras away. What's ironic is, is I've had way more experiences than everybody in my group, but I use my camera the least. I do take pictures of we find a structure. We find a nest. I document that stuff thoroughly. But I really don't try to push the picture thing. Now I got a new researcher. His name is Patrick. He's always got a state-of-the-art 35 millimeter on him. Tony Tony Lombardo has a GoPro. Um, Brad Corliss has a third gener. He has a FLIR Scout, um, and we have third-generation night vision with recordable capabilities. I let those people use that stuff when they're around, but I kind of try to distance myself from the camera. There's a couple of reasons why, and I'll tell you. A lot of these encounters happen at night, and if they happen at night, you're going to have a flash, and they're not going to like the flash. I'm going to tell you, that's a a showstopper. The night's over if you flash. They don't really seem to like infrared. Uh, The best of the three is night vision. Night vision they seem to tolerate, but it's got to be at least of third-generation quality, which is really expensive and prohibitive. If it's not third-generation, you can't see them too well, and I don't know why, but that's been my experience. I've seen I've seen the female and the male standing outside my camp from behind them, and it was really interesting. Uh, the female was um, really nervous and swaying back and forth, and the male just stood there with his arm against a tree. With third generation So they were looking We were behind them Across a ravine Looking across the ravine About 100 yards And they were looking Into our camp And we caught them By accident Mm -hmm. So I've actually seen them In third gen That was
0: That was really cool So So Mike You You Told us about A couple of your Visual encounters What How many would you say You've had All All told
2: You know what? I don't count anymore. Um, uh, Probably in the 10 range. Yeah. In the 10 range. But you guys got to remember, I go a lot. I mean, I've been (laughs) camping. I just got back from a couple of days last week, which is November. This time of the year, you either have hunters and that's about it. The campers are gone. Usually in Colorado, you already have snow. This year, we don't. I have an outfitter's tent because I used to hunt extensively for elk and deer, and uh, so I have a stove capability so I can go year-round, and we do. We went up, and it was pretty cold at night, but you know what? We actually had some great things happen, so when you go in the off times, the off times are the best times, but they're also the hardest times, so you have to be geared up for it and ready for it, so... We were the only one on the roads, and those were the best times. We were it, so it, it, it appeared to me we had some things happen. Um, we had I, I'm I'm suspecting a juvenile. Patrick got actually got a look at one while we were there. Um, I told him there was uh, I heard some stuff outside the tent in the morning, and I, it was like five in the morning, first light. That's your best. I'm gonna tell folks that's your best time to see one, early in the morning, first light because that's when yeah. we've seen them most, um, it, people in our group and everything. But that's the best time where you got a chance of seeing them because, you know, when, they're, when it's at nighttime, they move so fast, it's tough. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you might get a glimpse, but it's not going to be anything that's really, really great. Right. We have a photo we got that's kind of – I'm going to let Patrick release it here pretty quickly – I know it's legitimate. I know where we got it. I know where it's from. A lot of people can't see the face, um, and I'm fine with that, but you got to remember, a lot of people don't know what a Sasquatch looks like, so they don't know what they're looking for, and they camouflage that well. So those are some of the reasons why people have a hard time seeing them. I have 25 years experience. I walked right by this guy. He was standing in the bushes about 15 feet from my son, 20 feet from me, and we walked right by him. So I have a feeling that's what's happening a lot.
1: People are just walking right by him. Right. Well, if I, mean, I can do it, walk I can do it, huh? Yeah. I, I was gonna say exactly. I mean, people walk by. Uh, for example, no about Two months ago. Yeah, no now For example, about two months ago, I was out with uh, some friends, and we weren't. We were just out on a hike. We weren't doing anything. uh any field research or anything like that, we were just walking by and there was a deer, uh, maybe uh, 20 feet off trail, just standing still and everybody walked by it. I just happened to look back and was looking around, counting kind of the heads and I saw this deer sitting there. Everybody would have walked right by this deer. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I've seen this happen with bear uh, and other animals, known animals. Uh, so we're talking about something that when it doesn't want to be seen, uh, you know, and you're not looking for it, uh, or maybe you are looking for it. it doesn't matter. Uh, you can, chances are you can walk right by uh, something like this. I, I have no doubt about that. Very. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean that's 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 a given. I mean it's going to happen and it has happened. So uh, no, great yeah. point. Uh, but getting back, getting back, uh, backtrack a little bit with the nests, because I'm fascinated by nest and bedding areas. Um, you described uh, how they kind of were set up and the sizes. and Well, you said, you know, the one, two, uh, baby nests, whatever. Um, were these nests, bedding areas, were, can you describe the area? I mean, I would imagine if, if I'm a human, you know, and I am a human, but I imagine if I'm making an area or if I'm, a, you know, another animal and want to protect my little one, I'm going to put this in an area, Uh, I'm going to give birth or or maintain a nest or bedding area in an area where it's going to be hard to get to um, that I can protect. I can hear things coming up. You know, uh, can you describe that area? I mean, did you get a sense that this was a great area to have a a nest uh, and to hunker down?
2: And the one in northwest Colorado Mm
1: -hmm.
2: was about as remote as you can get. No trails. I mean, we were literally off trail. So, and you have to go through this big swampy area, mosquitoes are bad, Um, there's a ridge that they can drop over that drops about 800 feet, about uh, less than a quarter of a mile away into a giant ravine, and um, it's just, you know, we totally found it by happenstance, to be honest with you. Like I said, it rained and they were really smelling up this canyon area, and I had a feeling they were there because they were leaving tracks going that way. But, you know, we kind of found it by mistake, that one. But, yeah, it was in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was randomly placed. So there was no rhyme or reason to it. Um, the one that we found recently in the – these mountains that we're in, the nearest town is 40 miles, and we have to go on a dirt road for about 20 miles. And there's about five houses in that 20 miles along the dirt road, and then it goes into Forest Service land. And – um it's it's not too far from the only source of water. And what's interesting about this creek is is this creek doesn't flow strong, but it flows out of from a spring and it there'll be stretches of the creek that goes underground and then it'll pop back up and it was along above and along one of those areas where the water came up. So, and it was um up on the side of the hill in between about three or four little trees. Hmm. So it was pretty well protected, but but mm-hmm. this area in and of itself uh, is, is remote. I, I mean, the nearest town is um, 100 people, <laughs> 40 miles away. <laughs> so, I mean, you're talking, I mean, it's remote in and of itself. They don't have yeah. to hide that much in this place.
1: Right. So. Yeah, the... Uh... You mentioned earlier how you you find you find that mountains are key to sasquatch habitat and, and whatnot and and i would agree you would assume that water i mean obviously but when you got an area like this describing this this bedding area nesting area was that uh there's like you know really just one key location for water water plays a big point uh in 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 a scenario like this uh at least in my mind, for obvious reasons, and you got uh, water there. Animals come down to feed uh, and and drink near the water, and you got fish. I mean, that that that's exactly what I'd be looking for if I was to look for a possible nesting or bedding area. I mean, that screams uh, to me obvious. But um, when you get into some of these more remote areas, most people don't travel these areas. Right
2: now, this place. We we had a couple of reports in this roughly in this area. I looked at the map. Uh, you know, we have thirteen locations, and what's what's interesting of the thirteen locations, they kind of have similarities. Um, so that, that we we've gotten some patterns going together at SURB because we have more than one location, and because of that, there's some similarities. So we can kind of look on the map and hone it down and get a pretty good shot. This is how good we've gotten. I got within a half a mile from where I'm now camping the first trip. And that's close enough. I mean, because when you do your calls, you know, they're going to come. On a remote group like that, if you do your calls properly, they're going to come, check you out. And you do a little wood knocking, and sure enough, they did. And so then we just had to hone down where we needed. We've Now we've moved to where we're camping, and we're right where we want to be. I mean, we when we go now... When I went the last time this year, we had nightly encounters, so nightly interactions. You know, uh, not great, yeah. but they were around. I mean, they were making noises outside the tent, grunting around the tent. Um, you know, throwing things,
1: things that you want. Yeah, I mean, is that freak? I mean, you're 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 an experienced outdoorsman, and you've been around. You know, fast bucks. I mean, is that? Play what doesn't freak you out as much. I mean, you're you know that's what you're there for. Uh, with some of your uh, bringing in some some of the I won't I hate the word newbies, but some of the new people that are into this that are um, uh, looking Newbie. for this does it does it freak them out?
2: Well, we you know we have a name for it, sir. We call it the fear cage. <laughs> you know, we call it the fear cage. When you come, there's a couple of places. Especially when the male's around in Northwest Colorado, and he doesn't like you, he'll do things to pick on the. He knows the. You know what they're really good at? Picking out the weak link. He's really good at picking out the weak link, and and why is that important? The weak link. If the weak link cracks, you leave. People don't think about that, but if the weak link—if you're just a normal camper and all of a sudden weird things happen—if the weak link cracks, you leave. And what a great defense mechanism that is! You don't have to be confrontational, you don't have to do anything. You just got to make the weak link crack. And this male is a master of it. And person, non-believer after non-believer, I've taken in there, and and they go from zero to a hundred all of a sudden things start happening they can't explain they go from zero to 100 and they want to leave i've had mm-hmm. two of my daughter's boyfriends that were total non-believers ex-military guys all aggressive all gung-ho both wanted to leave in the middle of the night and i said no i said you're going to stick it out we it's it's four hours back to denver we're not going home i make them stay uh, you know, nothing ever happens. He just, you know, and then as you stay, you know, then that, that defense mechanism that that Sasquatch is doing goes away. Mm-hmm. You know? You, you, yeah. But you've got to ride it out. you got to ride it out. And, you know, the newbies, and it's okay to call them that. that that's okay. Um, you know, I, every person's different. Uh, i got a guy, Patrick, he doesn't seem to be – he's pretty even keel. I mean – we had one running around the tent a, uh, a week or so ago, and he took it pretty well. Uh, other people, it just depends on what they want to do. One thing we do at sir, that nobody does in the Bigfoot field, that outfitter's tent. I, I, We sleep along the edges, and I don't stake it down. And I do. we do that for two reasons. We want them to touch, they can lift up the side, and they can poke you if they want. And they will do it. Uh, you know, I want my people to get used to that level of, it, of encounter. And it's the Sasquatches will do that. They're, that Northwest location, we put you in the back corner, uh, Jeff Yellick had one touch him on the face. He had a beard. He was the first guy we took there with the beard. I have a mustache, but he had a beard. They touched him on the face in the middle of the night
1: because they wanted to so, touch that beard. Yeah, <laughs> the beard uh but in your experience, and it sounds like uh, I think I know I'm gonna I think I already know your answer, but in your experiences, I mean do you do you find that Sasquatch are aggressive uh, non-confrontational? I mean uh, and I mean, do you think they're capable of being aggressive? Uh, you know, there's a lot of reports out there in counters where um, people claim that Sasquatch was aggressive, uh, and uh, you know, there's a lot of reports where not necessarily reports, but insinuation that uh, some of the missing people in these woods and, and forests are due to Sasquatch. I mean, is that your experience? I mean, is that, how, how do you feel about Sasquatch and their behavior?
2: Every Sasquatch group I've ever encountered in the beginning will try to get rid of you and scare you away. You know, some do it subtly, some do it a little bit more, but they've never done anything to hurt me. You just stick it out. That's that's their that's their way. I think that they know we can defend ourselves, and they don't ever seem to take it to that next level. Um, I, you know, uh, I, I've been roared at. Okay, I've been roared at, but we, it was during hunting season. It was I wasn't even sasquatching. My brother shot an elk, and. I think the sasquatches, the elk were standing out in the middle of the open during the day on third rifle, and they never do that at noon. I'd been to that clump of trees in the morning, and he went there at noon, and they were standing out in the open, and he shot one. Well, the elk ran off, and we went to try to find it. And by by the time we'd gotten on it pretty close around 5 o'clock, it was getting towards, it's November, it's getting towards dark, and uh, we got roared at so what do I think happened? I think that Sasquatch was hunting those elk, and my brother messed up the hunt, and he roared at us because we got too close. He was not happy, and it, I'm gonna tell you guys, it was the last thing I've ever heard. I mean, he was angry, and, and and there was a there was three camps up there, and there was one from Alabama that just arrived. They drove all the way from Alabama to Colorado. Their camp was about a mile away. People heard that roar three miles away. Their camp was about a mile away, but there was a guy around helping us look for the elk, and he heard that. They loaded up and left and went back to Alabama. That's how intimidating that was. He didn't have to see it. He didn't have to do anything. They heard it. They left. That was enough. That was enough. It, it It was loud. People were thrown off. There was an outfitter there. He was helping us look for my brother's elk. And there was a blood trail and everything, and we never did find the elk. Um, and uh, there was actually in the pile there were three blood trails, so we think some of the elk were already injured, and that's why. And we did find footprints from the Sasquatch, and he was a big guy, 20 inches. So people, people were a lot of old hunters were unnerved by that. Mm-hmm. You know that was an that was an incredible thing.
1: Well, I would nope, imagine some Yeah. Crazy. Not not hearing something uh like that ever in all your hunting years and hearing something so powerful, uh as is reported by many hunters, I mean whether they have a visual or not, sometimes it's just a vocal or, or, or something of that nature and, and they're like, Wow, I, I don't I I I can't imagine what that could have been. It was so powerful, I could feel it in my in my body. Uh that would freak anybody out.
2: There was a lot of guys there with a lot of guns.
1: <laughs>
2: I mean, we're hunters. I, you know, I had my 30-06, my brother had his. Uh there was a, there, there was an outfitter close by. He was helping us. Some of his guys on horseback were helping us look for the elk and then we had the one guy from Alabama help looking. There was a bunch of people there helping us look for that elk and we never did find it. But um we, we um it was just, uh, you know what, people were freaked out. I mean, mm-hmm. they literally did pick up camp and leave. <laughs> so well, I'll, let, I'll never forget me, uh, that. It was a life-changing experience.
1: Heck, yeah. But let me give you a scenario and, and get your feedback on this. Say, say um, you got a hunter out there, and uh, you say he's um, out there hunting, and he comes across a Sasquatch um, with an elk kill or a deer kill. Uh, and, or one that he maybe had shot that the Sasquatch had uh, picked up. Um, is that a bad situation? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, there's been, you know, reports where um, Sasquatch has just walked away with it, and there's been other reports where it, people have been charged that. Um, do you think that's a really bad situation to be in, or is that just, you know, a situation where Sasquatch is like, no, this is mine, buzz off?
2: We have a researcher in our our group. He's a retired military vet. He's decorated. His name's Paco. He he came. He was hunting up near the Wyoming border with four of his colleagues, or three of his colleagues. So there was four. All and their Paco's an expert shot. Okay, he was long-range recon patrol in the military in Vietnam. He said they all had the Sasquatch that walked out of the forest in their scopes. He said it looked. He goes, we didn't have enough guns to kill him, and he goes, he looked way too human to be shooting at, and that's what that's what he said. So we've ha- actually have somebody in our group that's been in that situation, and he had him in his scope it, it, four guns, and he said, and he's an expert, you know, in guns. He said we didn't have enough guns to be putting something that big down he said he was at least nine feet tall mm. and he said he said it scared me to the core and and, and oh, a lot of people don't know this a lot of people don't know this but in Vietnam the, the rock apes had the military was briefed on the rock apes in Vietnam and they yeah. were told not to shoot them they were told not to shoot them in Vietnam, that, and, and that's a totally, I, I think that's a totally different thing than what we have here. It's similar but different. Like the yaoi is similar but different. And if you notice, the yaoi is more aggressive. It seems like the the rock ape is more aggressive. But their foot is quite a bit different.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I think there's more. What people don't understand is, is we don't know what we're dealing with. And at sir. we kind of look at, there's, there seems to be kind of two types. One we call the primitives. They look really, we just got a picture of a primitive. They're a little bit more aggressive, but what's weird is, and there's some that seem to be a little bit like the Yelix picture, they seem to be a little bit more towards the hominid side, the human side. Um, you know, I think, it, I think it depends on what you're dealing with. And and, mm-hmm. and you got to remember you got to remember Sasquatches we don't know what they came from we're guessing and gi- I don't think Gigantopithecus is a good guess it it might be but I'm not I think there's something else out there that we're missing um, but you, you know yeah. I, I don't know you don't know what you're dealing with you don't know what you're running into I you know some groups do seem a little bit more aggressive. And and in my findings, it's the ones that seem to be we call them the primitives.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I w- in my head I imagine that a lot of what people are seeing are is the same thing. And, and you know, like humans, uh, I would imagine that much. You know, you look at any any animal, they look they don't look different. There's variants. look different. Yeah, there's variants. Yeah. Right. They're going to look different. And and maybe they're looking at the same thing. I don't know if there's two groups, three groups four groups. I don't know. Uh, but a lot of times I think that, uh, you know, people will describe something differently, you know, in a crime scene compared to someone else in the crime scene. And so we can be just dealing with the same thing. and just looks different. And, but I will say that, um, <clears throat> pardon me, that I, one of the things I find, you know, fascinating is, is, uh, you know, different areas of the country report, uh, and you, you know, you kind of touched on this a little bit. You're talking about, you know, uh, you, know uh, you know, you know, uh, Australia to, you know, uh, you know, gigantic, You know, all these different uh, reported creatures around the world. Um, that, and I lost my train of thought too. Sorry, but the the. That we could be dealing with the same creature just reported different, you know looking different based on eyewitness descriptions i mean that's a possibility i mean uh, we could be dealing with just the the one type uh you know what what are your thoughts on that i mean uh, i mean obviously obviously um you know the United States is a huge continent you know the united states is a huge continent and we could be dealing with uh, you know different uh, uh, areas with different uh, breeds and whatnot, but I mean, t- could we not be dealing with the same thing, just a little bit different, based on what people are seeing?
2: You know, I I, I think there's differences. I think there's differences, and I think things have evolved differently in different parts of the country. I think the Western United States, we really have the main two groups that I'm talking about. But I, you know, I don't know the skunk ape. That well, I haven't done that much research in the far south. And I've talked to people like Ken Gerhart and Lyle Blackburn and Brian Impey about you know the you know the folk monster down in Arkansas and and what they have in Texarkana and stuff. And it seems to be a little bit different. So uh, and the Rougarou, and then you got the Dog Man up in the Windigo. So you know. You during the day things kind of seem to fit their niche, and so this Earth's been around a long time i you know i i I expect there to be more than one kind and, and and because they've been isolated, they don't have free rain to get across the great plains that easily. They've been isolated, mm-hmm. so things that get isolated tend to change um over time. So I, I do think there's regional variations and things like that. I do. Gotcha. I really yeah.
1: do. Well, what, what are your thoughts, Michael? I mean, what are your thoughts on, uh, migration? Um, uh, you know, do you think that Sasquatch inhibits areas of Colorado year round uh, or do you think they migrate, uh, in by migration? I mean, that means a lot to different people. Migration to some means, uh, traveling really long distances, you know, state to state or whatnot. Or to others, it means more, you know, of an elevation drop. Uh, What are your thoughts on migration? Do you think, in Colorado and, you know, uh, in some of these areas that you've been researching, that that Sasquatch are there year-round, or do they go from point A to point B, depending on the season?
2: You know what? This is what I think. Uh, I've been fortunate. There's like three of my areas are within – this is. They seem to need about 20 miles by 20 miles, so that's 400 square miles for us for a small family group. Because um, we have a couple that butt up against each other, a couple of groups that'll butt up that butt up against each other, and they actually have a line, and that's when they break the trees. They mark the they mark the line with the broken trees, so it's kind of a show of a, a, a territorial show, and um, so. They do migrate within their territories up and down the vertical column here with the elk. Now, deer kind of tend to stay in the same area, but the elk move around. Here, their primary food source they prefer is the elk. So they migrate up and down the vertical column with the elk. The elk like the high places in the summertime, which ironically are, are where people aren't. And then they like in the wintertime the lower places here. So they come down the vertical column so the sasquatches seem to move up and down the vertical column here so i'm confident of that i don't think they leave the state however i have a location that's about 30 miles i have a sasquatch that throws rocks at the tent and he likes to hear them roll down the top of the outfitter's tent and he'll do it for hours and when you go out he stops I go back in the tent, he'll start up again. He won't let me see him, but he does it. I was at one of my other locations about 30 miles away. He wasn't at the location he normally was at. And then 30 miles away, I was at a new location with another group, and that rock thing started happening there. And we did it three times. So he must have moved from that place to that place. So, and I think he's the really smart one. So I think he moves from place to place to place to place, which is interesting.
1: It's interesting, you know. I mean, could you be dealing with, uh, I mean, obviously, at least I shouldn't say obviously, but, you know, uh, I don't think personally that Sasquatch travels around in family groups 24-7. You're going to have... you know, these males, these rogue males are going to have, you know, them searching for maybe a family or a female, uh, you know, they get kicked out of their, their whatever group they're in. Uh, I mean, is that a scenario that you think is possible in Colorado where you have? Uh, oh, you I know, tra- yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah, I, I I like I told you, that big male that doesn't necessarily like people, he isn't always there. He, he isn't always when the mama and baby, we call her mama and baby, mom and baby were there he wasn't always there in fact one time scott walters was with me and he did a roar and i was like oh don't do a roar and he did a roar and that big male was about a mile away and he roared all the way back towards us and it was a cloudy that was a cloudy day they like overcast days because if uh, there are a lot of them are gray and black, and gray and black in an overcast day, they'll they'll mill around on an overcast day,
0: mm. and he
2: he you could hear him moving towards us because he let out roars and sounds, and he covered that mile in record time, and when he got near our camp, he he must have looked in our camp and he he veered off and went by us and then he roared up the hill, and and, and people ask me why do you do that? Well, a, a roar is a threat. You're calling out a male Sasquatch when you roar. It's not a smart thing to do. When you're calling down the male Sasquatch, the male Sasquatch, there's a perfect example of it. He was coming to see what the threat was. We weren't a threat, so he left. He was coming to see if there was a male Sasquatch challenging him with his mom and his baby. So that could have been a bad scene.
0: That could have been a really
2: bad scene. (laughs) So I I don't encourage people to go out and roar all over the place. Most of the time that's what you get. The male assesses the threat and you aren't one, and he just will leave. But there's a perfect example where I know exactly what happened. He heard Scott do that roar. He came towards us. You could hear him. I mean, he was coming fast. I mean, he, he... he was coming fast, 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 and he let out like th- three roars along the way, got within really close to our camp, m- stealthily must have came through because we really didn't hear him much around. Then the next thing we know, he's on the hill above us,
1: and he roared again, and then he
2: left. So I, I know exactly what happened there.
1: Yeah. One of the uh, one of the cool things that I love about Colorado is it's the eighth largest state. It has over uh, twenty four million you know square acres uh of, of forests and woodlands and uh over two thousand natural lakes. Uh you, you know, talking about the San Juan River, Animas, the, the the Green River. I mean, the rivers go on and on, the lakes go on and on. It has a plentiful amount of animals like pronghorn elk fuel, uh deer, you know, plentiful deer, mountain lions, black bear, bighorn sheep and uh you know the list goes on and on there too. I mean, you guys even have prairie dogs, uh, which are pretty cool. And uh, uh, have you guys had reports of? Uh, I know there's wolves in, in in some of these areas. You know, the gray wolf. But I mean, have you personally seen any gray wolves in these areas? i mean, you know, it's it's a pretty. I haven't state. seen
2: any. I haven't seen any wolves yet. But the, one of the Yellowstone wolves was hit on the interstate by Idaho Springs on I-70. So she'd actually moved all the way out of Yellowstone into Colorado on I-70. So she was in the middle of the state. So you have to say, yes, we have wolves. Uh, but they seem to be satellites of the of the Yellowstone wolves. Now, New Mexico uh, it reintroduced the gray wolf. So I would imagine down along the Colorado-New Mexico border we have wolves one thing that's really interesting guys is I've been in the woods a lot I've seen more Sasquatches than I've seen bears and mountain lions so what does that tell you two things I'm not looking for those things for one so if you're not looking for them you're not going to find what you're not looking for the other thing is is when you're in a good Sasquatch habitat you got to remember you're in their home if you if you've nailed it and you're camping where they are you're in their home they're not letting those things roam around in their home. We don't. Why would they? They can't afford to. They, A lot of times they have juveniles. They cannot afford. If you're having a bear in your research site or you're having a mountain lion in your research site, you got a bad research site. I'm going to tell you right now. Because a real Sasquatch where they're living, they don't let that happen. They can't afford to, just like we don't afford. Why do you think grizzlies are only in Yellowstone and Montana? We couldn't afford mm. to have grizzlies running around.
1: Well, I mean, uh, you're talking about, you know, assuming, you know, staff watch, I think it's more of an assumption, would be the apex predator and would not want to have competition. And being its size and strength and everything else, it's going to uh, uh, protect those areas. And so, uh, whether it's it's uh marking the territory or uh what not it's going to kick any other apex predators out of those areas I mean that stands to reason correct
2: i I think so i am I'm, I'm confident of it even our new research site way down south when when we get about a mile away from this place there's bear sign around, but around the nest. There's no bear sign, and what's interesting is when Patrick got that photo that I was telling you about. One of the reasons I was distracted was it was it was August, and the raspberries, all the bushes, none of them had been eaten. They were full. Me and my son were eating raspberry. We just you just grab, go down to a bush, and and that never happens this late in the season. The bears, the birds, everything, none of them. And I was like. What's going on here? Why aren't these raspberries eating? It's almost like something was protecting them. And, and and we just didn't get it. So, you know, he was l- literally right next to us looking to see what we were going to do. And and for those that can see the face, it looks like he's frowning. <laughs> it looks like he's not <laughs> that we that we're there. It looks like he's got a big frown on his face. <laughs> and I was like, you know, which is what which is what you'd expect if you, you don't want to be found. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, it, uh,
1: anyway. What about smell? What about smell? I mean, have you ever had, within your sightings, uh, and maybe not even had a sighting, have you ever come across a smell that, uh, you know, reported, you know, some of these reported Sasquatch's, uh encounters report a smell, uh, you know, a pretty uh, bad smell? You know, eggshells and, and everything else. I mean, just just awful uh, smell. Um, have we're you very dry that? here. Yeah, uh-uh. we're very
2: dry here. So when it does rain here, it, they my northwest group, when it rains, and the one time I told you that I could smell them up the area, it rained for three days off and on. So I could smell them and and they were in this like canyon area and there was like a little plateau but yeah he, here most of the time they don't and certain groups they don't seem to smell hardly at all until they get really really close um the this sweet skunky smell sometimes applies sometimes they smell like puke like a really rancid puke it's a really foul <laughs> Bad smell. So it just depends, and I often wonder if it's because they're hurt or ill.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't, I don't understand it. But a lot of things, when they're hurt or ill, they tend to take on an odor. And and, and when they're, if it's not raining and they're smelling, I always get a little bit nervous because I'm wondering, you know, something that's hurt. That's a
1: whole different ball game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I so had, it, I had a little I, bit of. A... I, I, I had a little bit of a brain fart earlier, but my question I was going to ask you earlier, and this coincides with my recent question about the smell, is could it be a seasonal thing? You know, the aggressive behavior, uh, you know, maybe it's mating season or whatever. It's the same thing with the smell. Maybe you're dealing with a time of year that Sasquatch are are out there um, trying to find a female. Um, They're being a little more aggressive because you've got these, these males coming into these areas. And the same thing with the smell. Maybe they're leaving pheromones out there. Um, you know, is that is that a possible scenario in your mind?
2: It's possible, but I haven't been able to correlate it. Uh, you, that's one thing that I'm better at than a lot of folks is the nuances. One thing I do is I set up everything in camp the same way. So if something's moved, I know it. So I'm really good at the nuances, the little things. I, I'm I'm really into detail and things like that. And I notice patterns. And that's one pattern I have not seen. But I'm I'm telling you, I'm watching for it. But see, what throws the inability to, to patternize that is when it rains. And it rains so little here that, like I said, they kind of do smell a little bit more here when it rains. But it rains so sporadically you can't throw a pattern on it.
1: Mm-hmm. What little patterns you may have picked up? What, what 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 could those be? Have you picked up any sort of uh, patterns in your head, or you know, with your research that uh, that you know you look for now? Uh, that uh, after years of research and, and working in the woods and fields in your your research, have you picked up any sort of patterns uh, that you can read? Oh yeah,
2: yeah. I have a whole bunch of things I look for. Um, um let me think here. One that's a really good one for you. One thing I look for a lot, and I don't know if people are looking for this, but if you're a hominid, if you're us, can you go drink out of the river? What happens if you drink out of the river? You get giardia. Get sick. Yeah. You get sick. So are sasquatches, if they're hominids, drinking out of the river or the lakes? I wouldn't. So they one thing that have I'm pretty confident. Yeah. Well, I, I think they're drinking out of springs. Okay. And and so if you're looking for springs, that new one we found, what's happening is, is he, they put the nest next to the stream. They are drinking out of the stream, but the stream is actually spring-fed, and it's filtering itself, and it's popping out where they put the nest. So the ground's filtering the water, so it's technically a spring. So the one of the other places has no water around it at all, but it has BLM troughs. Well, what are those? Str- springs. So I think that they're trying, when at all possible, to drink out of the springs. In fact, there's a couple of springs here that were named um, by the Native Americans after one was named uh, the Native American name, which I don't know what it is, Giant, like, Monkey Spring, because they kept seeing Sasquatches there. So I think that they're they're drinking more out of springs, so if you... The other place that you would find clean water that you could drink would be caves and mines because it's filtered from coming through the ground. So I think those are the ways that they're preferring to drink if they can get it that way. Um, They like ravines and they like steep and high places. They, They like vertical. We don't like vertical. They like vertical. What's ironic, if you think about the Erickson Project, the female was coming out of a ravine in the suburbs. Well, why is that? She can move around in the suburbs, not be seen, come out of the ravine. Nobody's going in the ravine. It's steep. She's coming in and out of the ravine. It made sense to me. So one of my locations is right on a, on a ravine, a, a steep one. You can't go up it or down it, but they
0: can. So That's some observations. So to change gears a little bit, one of the uh, I spent some time on your, your on the Sear site and um, you have a section on tree structures and tree breaks. Let's talk a little bit about about that. What what do you think the purpose of these are and why do you think that that they should be associated with with uh, Sasquatch or Bigfoot?
2: Okay, you have to be really careful on tree structures because people make structures. Okay? There's uh-huh. no doubt about it. Hunters make structures. Uh, Indians made structures. Um, Wiki-ups here. Um, so what you got to do is you got to find the Sasquatches first. You make sure that there's Sasquatches there. Then you look for structures. There's four components in Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico of the structures. You don't just find one. You find them in groups of four. You find teepees. And they're not very good teepees. They're not functionally structured teepees. They just look like a teepee. X's, which means keep out to other Sasquatches. Teepee means home to other Sasquatches. Um, there's arches. But arches, people are, are, are taking arches. People are embellishing arches. A Sasquatch arch is, is broken off tree at the end, rammed into the ground. So if you're finding an arch that's just free flowing I don't think that's a sasquatch i 'm looking for the ones that are broken off at the end and physically forcefully rammed into the ground that's what i 'm looking for um, and I got one guy one location where the guy does it really well he'll break a full grown he'll bend over a full grown aspen and ram the top into the ground and you can't pull it out so he's putting force into it that's what I look for and um, the other one is like an A. And I don't understand the A, but it's the most predominant structure. It's like a triangle with two sticks at the bottom. And I don't know what that means, but it's the most important symbol yet. And I don't know what that symbol. Now you gotta understand these symbols aren't for us. They're for other Sasquatches. And what they mean I have no you know, I know the one teepee means home. Northwest Colorado, there was a really great teepee up on the hill where one of the logs was nine feet up in the tree, rammed on upside down. And I was like, man, and, and it had no functionality. I mean, you can't sit under it. And it's like 100 yards from where the Sasquatches slept. On the top of the hill, prominently displayed so when other Sasquatches come up the ravine, they can see that this is Mama and Baby's home. So, you know, that's... I never even thought we'd find structures. We, we were finding the Sasquatches first, and one location I have, we started going around looking around for... We thought there might be a mine or a cave they were living in, and the farther away we got out in the middle of nowhere, we started finding these things, and there wasn't any evidence of any people. and And now that we have multiple locations, these things keep repeating. So I'm... I could do a coffee table book with 150 structures in it. And I'll also tell you guys this. If they didn't have any importance, the Forest Service goes around cutting them down. If they find them, they cut them down, which is really interesting. That big X I posted, it's gone. The uh-huh. Forest Service found it. They cut it down. And they cut down the little tree that was holding those two big trees up
1: to the ground. So- well, so why think, would you uh, do that? Well, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, sorry to interrupt you, but do you think uh, the Forest Service may play a part in maybe in hiding this stuff, or what's going on there in your mind?
2: You know what? I, I don't think there's any conspiracy or anything like that. I think that it's very departmentalized in there, and that there's a few people that know and that it's just easier for them to manage the resources within the Forest Service. The Forest Service is the Department of Agriculture. The Department of Agriculture's business is to make money off the land. Well, Sasquatch, if you remember, the spotted owl was a problem for making money for the Forest Service. Sasquatch, if he's discovered, is going to be a big problem for them making money. That's what they're afraid of. They keep it really departmentalized. They keep it really small and tight. Um, we've actually had about four or five roads. Like, if you have s- Sasquatch stickers on your car here, and they they, they semi pay attention to you, we've had three or four little roads that we had campsites on that they closed. Mm-hmm. So why would they? Cl- One of them was the Yellicks. and I mean this road's in the middle of nowhere. Two of these roads, what's interesting is, is the Sasquatches weren't even trying to hide. They built structures on the road. So the Forest Service was running into these structures. And next thing you know, there's barbed wire across the road. One of those roads that they closed a mine has been open. I've been going on it for... I, I was camping on it even before I even knew there were Sasquatches there. And um, they they cut down 80 trees to close the road. They make sure
1: nobody's driving in there <clears throat> Eighty two so, so you, yeah i mean so you think there is a little i'm not talking about conspiracy per se but you think there is a genuine effort to to hide this stuff i mean uh uh from the public i
2: i don't know you know it it makes me wonder i you know i i, I don't have any definitive proof but i got the Yellicks have a road that's closed. Miss Robbins' road just got closed. My two of my roads have been closed, and we were sasquatching there. And now the four and these roads have been open forever and ever. And, and they went to Great lengths to close them. Um, the other thing that seems to happen sometimes around your area, if they find your sasquatching, is the next thing you know you got controlled burns all around your area, and it it it. it 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 just it seems like too much of a coincidence sometimes mm-hmm. you know like i like i said i'm i'm good at patterns and you know it, it seems like the same things keep repeating themselves mm-hmm. so i i think there's some people in it that know but like i said it what's the if everybody starts talking if you talk to a ranger most of them will tell you you're nuts okay they will they'll say we don't want to talk about it we don't believe that if there's a few that will so I think they keep right. it. They tell their people. They tell their people not to talk about it, and they keep it departmentalized within a few people. So there's probably somebody in Colorado, a small group of about five or six people that know. And when they find something, they send them out quietly and then get, take care of it. But that big X is gone. <clears throat> why? Why would yeah. you cut down that big X in the middle of the forest? And if you weren't just worried about the logs falling on somebody. And why wouldn't you leave the little tree that's holding it up? The little tree yeah. isn't going to fall on somebody. They didn't want the Sasquatches to make the X again, so they had to take care of the little tree that it was setting in.
1: Yeah, and I, you know what? I I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. I don't know if there's some. I, I work with park rangers, and and uh, uh, maybe they they're not in the know. They're very open to. The subject of Sasquatch, they actually feed me reports. Um, but what you're talking about obviously would have to be much bigger than just Colorado because uh, report, you know, is reported in multiple states. It would have to be a bigger uh, thing. Uh, it would. For this. It would.
0: Yeah. Uh, you, and and yeah. you know
2: what? I have no proof. We had one of my researchers, and he was in one of his areas. The Forest Service stopped and asked him what he was doing. Well, Mm -hmm. he was looking for Bigfoot. The guy knew it. He had a Bigfoot hat on. And the guy went around the corner, and he didn't know that Jeff, I'm going to tell you it was Jeff, he didn't know that he could still hear him. And the guy yelled out into the forest, the big It's time for you to move on. The Bigfoot people are looking for you. What do you make Hmm. of that? What do you make of that?
0: Well, that's interesting.
2: What do you make of that? So what am I supposed to make of that? Here's what I make of it. He thinks they can understand what he's saying in English. What do you think of that? He also thinks, that they are listening to him or he's aware of them. He, he's acknowledging that they're real. I, I, can igno- I can glean a lot of things out of that.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, well,
2: you know what? We didn't do it. We're just the messengers, but that's what happened. And Jeff, I mean, he told me immediately, He, he and we kept it under wraps. This actually happened a while back. Mm-hmm. We were like, what do we do with this? People will think we're nutty. But Jeff and I <laughs> talked about it. You know what, Jeff and I talked about it and that's what happened. And that's what they yeah. did. So 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 why would they do that? I I don't yeah. know. You, you know what, the Forest Service does a great job. They do a lot of things well. I like their people. And like I said, most of the rangers I think are oblivious to it. Like I said, I think it's managed really in a small little incremental group and they just keep it quiet. I, I Gentlemen, how how can they not find what I can find?
1: Right. They well, work there
2: every day. They work there every day.
1: Well, actually, let me touch on that real quick because that was that was my next point. Is is this? Um, and I spend an incredible amount of time out in the woods, uh, as yourself, uh, Michael. Incredible amount of time out in the woods. Um, here's the thing, though. These guys have jobs. They're out doing specific yep. things at certain times, whereas we're out doing uh, – we, we have different goals and different ideas. Exactly. And, and Yeah. So for some of them, uh, you know, and maybe, maybe there is a good I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I'm not going to go there. But I will say that for the majority of those guys, they have specific jobs and whatnot. And they're a. I, I really do feel most of them are oblivious to the fact that Sasquatch were out there. That's just my opinion. Oblivious. They have no idea. They may come across something interesting and not know what they're looking at just as a hiker or a camper or whatnot. Uh, And so they're just completely oblivious to what's out there, Uh, just my opinion.
2: I agree. I agree. I think most of them are oblivious to it, and that's the way they like it. Right. But like I said, we've had some experiences, road closures. You know, if you don't want to draw attention to yourself, then don't close my road. Right. You've closed four mm. of our roads. I mean you've pulled in stumps and and, and, and went to great lengths. You wanna know what's interesting, the little road they closed of Jeff's, the Sasquatch had built a big structure right next to his campsite. So they they had to know they closed the road.
0: Mhm. <laughs> and it wasn't there
2: when they camped there. They built it after the Yellicks were there. The Sasquatches mm. built it, so you know, like I said, I, I you know what? It doesn't really. It, it isn't going to change anything for right, me. Right. It just it just makes it a little bit harder in some of our locations. And and like I said, most of them are are good folks. And even even if if that's the position they've taken, that's the position they've taken. I just mm-hmm. have to work around. I, I just have to work around it.
0: Right. So, You're and not I being
1: do. stopped yet. You're not being stopped yet from out to the woods. Uh... There's no closures uh uh as to other areas you can go to. Um maybe you're you're being prohibited from going to certain areas, but um being an experienced outdoorsman and hunter, and or sorry, uh, just experienced outdoorsman and, and going to these areas, you know you know what you're looking for. Um and so these uh these kind of little roadblocks uh don't really yeah, they hinder you, but, you, you know, they don't hinder you so much as to the fact that you can't get out and do what you love to do and look look for what you love to look for. So that that's, no. that's key, too. Yeah. And,
2: no, uh, and I like I said, I hope people don't have the wrong impression. I think the Forest Service does a great job, and I think they have great people, and I love uh, a lot of the rangers I'm friends with and yeah. stuff like that, and I truly believe they don't know. Um, it's just that these things have happened that I've taken notice to. And like I said, right. I don't think there's any. Consp- I don't think there's any conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy guy, but they have, in some of our places, m- made it more difficult, and it looks suspicious. That's right. all I'm going to say.
1: That's a, that's okay? an honest. Yeah, yeah, that's an honest opinion, and I can appreciate that. And um, I won't disagree with you there. Uh, I can't. Uh, you know, I'm not run into a whole lot of uh, roadblocks or some of the scenarios that you've run into. But I will say that uh, I've run into certain rangers that won't help me out. <laughs> you know, they uh, kind of, uh, yeah, don't help me out any, and actually fringe upon me doing what I'm doing. Um, but I have run into some that actually help me out. And uh, whether what what they're placing in the field of the forest parks, or not, I don't know. Some of them are um, higher up than others, but still, once again, could be completely oblivious to the fact because we just assume. <laughs> We just assume that because you get a badge and you're a forest park ranger or uh, in you know the agriculture that you're out there all the time um, researching these areas and when when the fact is no not necessarily a lot of times you're just in the office doing paperwork a lot of times you're just walking a, a known trail you're really not getting out there um, I've heard more stories from those involved with timber and logging uh, that really get out there. Uh, that have had incredible encounters or stories that uh, supply me with information that that trump anything I've heard from you know any ranger. So I'm not surprised there. Uh, and and conspiracy theory or not, you know whatever I don't care. Being Doesn't that make so you guys
2: out- wonder too? Doesn't that make you wonder too? Okay, I'm getting reports from truckers at night. I'm getting reports from military downrange in their proving grounds. I'm getting reports from hunters. I'm getting reports from fishermen. I'm getting reports from campers. But I'm not getting any reports from the Forest Service.
1: Well, <laughs> it does make you wonder. But, of course, <laughs> well, again.
2: Uh, so all, all the yeah. people, oh, I'm getting reports from ranchers. I'm getting reports from people that live in the forest. I'm getting reports from everybody I should but one group. So if you make make yourself stand out, you stand out.
1: Mm -hmm. But once again, these guys (laughs) are getting out there. Once again, the guys you're talking to are really actually getting out there. And and I'm not not saying that a lot of the Rangers and these sports park uh, people and whatnot, uh, government officials, you know, they're they're not getting out there. But, you know, consistently speaking, I don't think they're really getting out there. They're spending time doing a job, whereas
0: your right. fishermen,
1: your, your hunters your, your, and whatnot, your water, they have, they have jobs, but they're getting out there, and they're, they're traveling. I mean, when, you, when, when a logging company goes into an area, they don't just start logging. They send surveyors out there, you know, in areas no, where – No, I know. Yeah, so that's, that's – You're maybe. right. You're right.
2: No, no, You're no, right. but, but, but I, you know what? I just, like, is like I said, is I, weird. Weird. I noticed patterns. Weird. Yes. I notice patterns, and there's a pattern. And like I said, that's my thought behind it, and that's just a position that somebody in a place far away has told them to take
0: is my thought. And that's
2: people are just be. following well, the rules.
0: It's, it, and it's kind of a speculation. You don't, you know, nobody's told you that's the case. You're, based on what you've seen, that's that's a that's a theory that you have regarding their behavior. So, yeah. Yes, so,
2: Yes, based on my yeah, experience. So. That is exactly 100% sure. right. And you know probably, what? And probably. I could be wrong. Uh, I could be very wrong. But it, you know what? It, it sure looks suspicious. So, mm. all right. No. I think we can do that dead so, horse.
1: Yeah. yeah, no, but I thank you for your humility, I mean, and your your honest answer. That's awesome, man. And that's what I, I you know, when I you people here on Monster Radio, that's what I want. Humility and honest answer. And in uh, fact, that you said you could be wrong—that's awesome. Because I could be wrong. I know. You know, I could be wrong in all what? In every aspect. Um, mm-hmm. and, My world has been shaken. <laughs> I could be very wrong. <laughs> but I will say that I, I respect that, and that's awesome. Um, but um, Michael, you know, we're closing on the end of the show here. What can people expect from SEER? I mean, you know, if someone was going out in the field with you, what they expect to to um, experience? Uh, uh, you know, as a participant in your research, and what's in the future for SEER?
2: You know what I do that's probably different than most is of the locations that are mine, I go back time after time. Once I know they're there, I want to see how far I can take the relationship and where it'll go. And I'll go back time after time after time. After. I don't go all over the place looking for new locations all the time and looking for Sasquatches. I find them, I go to the same places, and I see where it'll take me. I've got some locations now that are 12, 10, 12 years old. And I'm still having interactions, but the dynamic changes just like a household changes. And And those are the things that I'm trying to figure out. So... Um, like the new, lo- you know, the new location, they're still kind of not wanting us there. So I have a location where they're not really wanting me there. Where I have another old location, if I go there, um, they might whoop when I'm driving in. So, you know, I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get one of these locations where the Sasquatches are so comfortable with me that they'll just come out, and then I don't have to figure out all these other things anymore. I'm not de- there yet and I was getting pretty close at one of my locations. Um the, the male would come out at night around stand around the edge of the camp and let me come up within a little bit. Uh but uh, mainly on the darker nights. Uh but it just seems like it's a really tough goal, but that's my goal. So
1: So oh, that's fantastic. where we're headed. Yeah. And, and what I've I mean, done is is yeah.
2: what I've done guys is is I've tried to get like minded people with their own group going and I've tried to help them get to the same place that I'm at. So we have multiple places like that going at the same time. Um the Yellicks have three. I've got three or four, maybe well, I actually technically got five. Um, so, and then the rest of them, well, we may have more now than I said. Robin has two, uh, Brad Corliss has a couple in Utah. Um, we got the Joe down in Salida has got some places going. Um, so what I try to do is I'm trying to expand that thought process to multiple places. So, cause what's the best way to have success is have it going at multiple places. So I'm increasing my chances exponentially that one of us will get there.
1: That's my thoughts. Thought, all right. Yeah, what, do you, what are your thoughts on, you know, you know, as we're winding up the show, what are your thoughts on, you know, why science really hasn't latched on to uh, this being a viable subject out in the woods? I mean, a, a viable thing, creature, whatever you want to call it. Why has science not really latched on to this? I mean, you know, it, it, I, I get so tired of people saying, well, we need a body, we need a body. Do we need a body? Is that what it's going to take? I mean, what's going to take for science to latch on this? And, and is that even something you're interested
2: in? I'd have, I deal with court of law all the time, people in the court of law and attorneys and things like that all the time. I kind of investigate things for my career. And I have enough evidence now that if I were to take you to the court of law, I think I could win. So you don't need a body. It's just that nobody's taken us there, but I actually think I have enough. Um, you know, the handprint's pretty compelling stuff. We have pretty good footprints. We have dermal and
1: both.
2: I mean, you should be able to. We probably have DNA. Um, we have uh, fingernail marks. We have... You know we have a we have a myri- i even have some stool samples that I'm pretty confident are pretty good um so we have pretty good evidence um i i you know it just depends on what we're dealing with guys if we're dealing with hominids i the body thing makes me totally uncomfortable then because then you run into ethical problems and things of that nature um so you know I don't know what the answer is I really don't um But I hope some, you know, what's funny is, is the longer I do this, the little bit more I get. Um, I got a really good nest this year, a really good nest. And it really is going to push things farther, I think. Uh, It's just another piece of evidence that, that I can show, that I can take people and show people. And some people that I've let take, taken to the nest were pretty impressed with it. So what you do is you just it's baby steps and if you take enough baby sex the next thing you know you're walking. So gotcha. that's 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 where that's where we're headed.
1: Yeah. Do you do you actively have any um uh scientists involved, anybody with academia involved in, in your research as of now? I mean how do you bet your stuff? Um,
2: I have people that quietly behind the scenes help me that are high-credentialed. Um, yeah, we have scientists. We actually have a couple of scientists that have act, asked to join the group, and I'm, wh- what we do to get people into our group is we go camping with them, we make sure that they fit our criteria. You know, obviously we can't have everybody going to our locations because they'll blow them up. So we, we, it's a slow process, but I would like to see some scientists – uh, in our group, everybody in our group's pretty well educated college most of us have college degrees or or you know or businessmen or women or something, or you know something to that magnitude if not uh, you know that 's not important to me anyway but mm-hmm. um, you know I would like to get a few scientists and 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 they they help me behind the scenes there There are people with of that caliber now helping me behind the scenes
1: right where do you they, see, they like to uh, keep
2: it low key <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, a lot of them do for obvious reasons. And they do; they could low key, uh, but they're interested because I think, uh, and I think you would agree, uh, the evidence um, thus far is actually profound. I think it's there's enough there for science and academia to really look at this subject seriously. Unfortunately, we're not there, and they won't uh, for the vast majority of science and academia.
2: But you know what? You it's see, gonna hit.
1: Yeah. It's going to hit them
2: over the head like a two-ton heavy thing one of these days. And they're all going to be standing there with their mouths wide open. And it may not be in my lifetime, but it's going to happen because Bigfoot is real. I've had him standing in front of me. Mm-hmm. So, so it, you know, it's all in how you look at things. This You guys have been doing this a while. It's not easy. And Bigfoot seems to have a few tricks up his sleeve that makes it even harder. But that's what I tell everybody in our group, that's what makes it so sweet. And you know what? It makes me sad. I see all these old-timers that have dedicated their whole lives to Bigfoot, and they never got it done. And it motivates me to try to get it done for them. Wow. Because, you know. It it motivates me to try to get it done for them. There's so many people out there, and it's kind of a bittersweet thing too because I also know human nature. If we do get it done, then what happens to Bigfoot? Right. So it it it, it's it's a really heavy burden and it weighs on me a lot on both sides of the equation.
1: You know, fantastic statement, uh, fantastic statement. There, I totally agree with you. I've seen and uh, tons of uh, dedicated old time researchers that I'm staying on the shoulders of that have passed away, uh, that are getting older in their age, that I respect highly. And uh, I want to do them justice. Um, I would love for them to be justified. Um, I don't care if I'm justified. I don't, I don't give a rip. But uh, the fact is Sasquatch is real, And it's out there. I mean, it's a real living thing. And I would love to validate the the hard work that they have done that I have, you know, uh, gained so much knowledge from to uh, get to where I am now. And I'm probably nowhere, but I am so – I'm just in the spot in my life where I want to validate their beliefs, their research their credentials, the amount of work they put on you know, uh, with their credentials online. It's crazy. And uh, if, if I can do them a little percentage of justice, that's going to make everything I've done this far that much better, and I'll feel so happy at the end of my life. And it may not be discovered. I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping so. Personally, I'm hoping so. Um, I think for the species, I think for the research. Um, but then again, you do have that double-edged sword once once the species is proven to exist where do you go from there you know and that's a that's a that's a tough one that's a tough one
2: it is a tough one and that's another reason I got I came out of the I quietly did it for a long time and I there needs to be more people like me there needs to be the voice of reason out there there needs to be people that know things and you know that's one of the reasons I came out of the woodwork when it comes time if they are discovered there's going to have to be people. They're going to have to ask that are farther along than others, and and they're going to they're going to need to know things. And you know, I'm going to offer my services to get my two, you know, to try to put my two cents in on on the future, so we do things the right way.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Well, on that note, oops, that that's a great place to to end this evening we're just about up against the clock here so I want to thank you Mike for, for joining us today on Monster X Radio yeah thank you guys there.
2: very much I enjoyed it <laughs> very, insi- very insightful questions guys Very, you know what very insightful different than what I'm normally asked and I really appreciated it I think we got to no the, problem. I think we really, really got to the heart of a few things
0: Thank you We appreciate you joining us Again my friend And for Mr. Shane Hardcore Corson And our listeners At Monster X Radio This is Gunnar Monson We'll be back next week With uh, Mr. Dan Lindholm Uh, Big Truth uh, Will be with us uh, Next Sunday 4pm Pacific 7pm Eastern Time So until then Uh, Have a great week, and uh, squatch on.